and she Is that what took you so long? No. Are you, you mean? Sure? What? I was, you were supposed to be here half an hour ago. How was I supposed to be here half an hour ago? We record at noon, theoretically. We record at two. <laughs> Heck, no, man. no, no. We start producing usable content at two. We record at noon. <laughs> There's a the difference, Ethan. I never get tired of that title tuning thing. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode three of Hephaestus Radio. Ethan Daniels, take it away. Hello again, everybody. So that Harry Carey impersonation was Ethan Daniels, and I'm Jose Cuevas, who is not the Padres now. Yeah. We're here with the third episode of Festus Radio. Little Orphan, Orphan Annie. And today we're going to be talking about Annabeth Chase, the movie Universe, and things that make us sad. It's, it's mostly movie Universe talk. Which means it's mostly things that make us sad. You know what's the worst part about it, folks? We haven't even scratched everything that makes us sad. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. We still are doing an entire Lightning Thief movie topic. So expect that around August. Around the July. same time. July. Expect we, that. We, up, we update it, like, tri-weekly, so, yeah, I, I'd say July. Expect that around July. And then... And then expect our review of Sea of Monsters early August. In which we will attempt to not be the Nostalgia Critic and fail in that respect. Hello, I'm the Nostalgia Critic. I remember it, so you don't have to. Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Things That Make Us Sad. So with that, let's go to the first thing that makes us sad. The news. And we're back with the news, and in the three weeks it's taken us to edit the last episode, we've received another trailer of Percy Jackson 2, Sea of Monsters. The trailer's two minutes long, and we're even more confused than we were before. So apparently the Sea of Monsters is a theme park in the Bermuda Triangle called Circeland. Apparently the boar shows up at the beginning. The dragon still attacks the tree, which I'm assuming from the IMDB entry. Mm -hmm. The manticore shows up, and he isn't French. Well, we don't we well, 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 we don't know that yet because we're not sure if the manticore has it is going to have a human identity. We just but see him. The more him. important thing is that he's not Sasha Baron Cohen, which is terrible. They're still taking a New York City cab. We see Thalia stuck in her tree. And Nathan Fillion is the president of UPS. 
I don't know what's going on in this movie anymore. Yesterday, I thought this was what would happen if Titan's Curse and the Sea of Monsters had a baby. <laughs> Rewatching it today, I'm not so sure. <laughs> Ethan, you had some very strong words when we were discru- discussing this earlier. I hate this movie. I hate this movie. What is going on? I'm also... I'm going to question the physics of Charybdis. So, they're on a raft, which seems to have no way of propelling them anywhere. They're in slack water, which means it's completely calm. Oh, and Grover doesn't appear to be there anymore. When they're on the raft, Ethan. Just thought I'd point that out. Maybe maybe he went off to search for Pan. Yeah. Because you because remember, we still have to introduce that subplot. Yeah. But yeah, they're on a raft with no way of propelling themselves in slack water. And then shark fins start appearing out of nowhere. And it's Charybdis is pretty big. If it's going to rise up, it's going to displace a lot of water. Or rather, allow a lot of water to flow under it to replace the space it was occupying. And Charybdis just silently rises up out of nowhere. Its teeth look like shark jaws. I'm questioning the physics of this entire thing. I hate you, movie! (laughs) Charybdis is a worm. That part actually makes sense. I don't even know what's going on with this film anymore. When, where, where's the Scylla? Where is Scylla? Scylla was explicitly in the book, too. Whenever you introduce Charybdis, you have to introduce Scylla. That was that was Odysseus' thing. He had to either go, th- go through a path that led him to Scylla, the most, arguably the most dangerous and powerful monster in Greek mythology, or go to the path that led them to Charybdis, which... Charybdis in the actual Odyssey is explained a little different. Instead of being a giant worm, it's a giant whirlpool, I think. It's explained as a whirlpool. My point is, it's a choice between the lesser of two evils. Here, it's not a choice. It's one whirlpool, which is just going to eat them while defying the laws of physics. I... Well... You also got to think about it. The point is, is that Scylla can only grab two people at a time, but there's only three of them. I this is why you bring cannon fodder, guys. Call up, call up that kid from the Apollo cabin. You know the one that I don't know the name of, and then call up Clarice because nobody wants her around, anyways. She isn't even in this trailer. Yes, she is. What's going on anymore? She's in the trailer. When at the beginning? No, she when they when they're talking about the the group of heroes. All right, all right. It, yeah, it shows her, but she's covered in black and she's wearing black leather and she's covered in darkness. She's not covered in black. That's kinky. She's well, Clarice would totally do that. Who, who's that guy that Clarice falls in love with again? Who is that guy? Uh, no, but it was a completely unexpected ship. And now there's this giant titan thing 
and it probably doesn't have an actor, so we don't know who it is. I'm thinking it might be Ganymede, but that doesn't have anything to do with the Ganymede mythology. What is well, going on with this movie? I'm I'm banking on his actor being Frank Welker or D. Bradley Baker. Yeah, I I just don't know. Paranoia, paranoia, everybody's coming to get me. So, yeah, that's the news. Um, oh, and also... haven't changed. Also, Car- the Kane Chronicles crossover thing, Son of Sobek, it came out while we were away. Actually, yeah. it came out two, the, the week before, I think. The week before Episode 2 was released. Yeah. You mean recorded? Lag time, terrible. guys. We are terrible at news, guys. We are we are horrible at news. In fact, this was basically just a small forum topic. That one. right. So, with that, let's move on to the forum and get something that won't depress us. <laughs> yeah. And we're back with the forum, ladies and gentlemen. Today we're going to try to discuss something that's not going to put as much of a damper on us as that movie just did. So let's talk about our favorite girl in the series. Right, Ethan? Right. Reyna. I thought we weren't going to discuss the movie. So, we discussed the movie last time, didn't we? So... With that, I guess we're going to talk about Percy Jackson 1, The Lightning Thief. Not the book, the film. So, as we said before, it roughly follows the story of Percy Jackson and the Olympians about 30%. Yes. Part of that 30% is that Annabeth is... Basically the daughter of the goddess of war, which, while not inaccurate, is not true to her novelization character. And so basically, she is Rainabeth from the Heroes of Olympus saga. Just just Raina. Raina, whatever. Rainabeth is the animalgation character we've decided to refer to her as, as to not cause confusion with main universe Annabeth. Despite the fact that other, every other movie universe is character we just call by their names. Well, we say, like, movie Percy, movie Grover, Rainabeth. Movie Chiron. Movie Chirons. Chirons, plural. Isn't it Chironic? (laughs) So, yeah, in the first movie, she's definitely a lot more aggressive than the real Annabeth would be in a similar situation. Again, she has a crossbow instead of a cap of invisibility, so while the real Annabeth would probably use her invisibility hat, try to get to an advantageous position and use that for a tactical advantage, Rainabeth shoots the problem. Yes. She's also significantly dumber than book Annabeth. Fun fact, 
Annabeth Chase was the name of the main character of Close to Home, so I think we found Rick found out that Rick Riordan is a fan of Close to Home. <laughs> Generally speaking, it doesn't follow the plot of Percy Jackson and the Olympians, the Lightning Thief, at all. And but, I feel like a big part of this is that Annabeth and Percy have a different dynamic. He doesn't meet Annabeth while he's in sick bay. He meets Annabeth while she's trying to kill every other camper. That's a different first impression. Yes. I think we can... I think we're when we eventually talk more about the movies as they are released and our Lightning Thief topic, which is going to happen shortly before the second film gets released, is basically every character is going to be the same, but anything that's changed about them is going to be directly related to the fact that they completely changed Annabeth. And that's the issue, I think, because... She's kind of the deuteragonist of the entire saga, and later on in the novels, she becomes the leader of the Seven. I don't see this Annabeth leading the Seven Most Powerful Demigods from a leadership perspective. I see it as her forcing the role of leadership upon herself, because clearly there's no one else who can do it. Which, even then, even Reyna had to grow to be the leader. She just... She just proved to be a competent warrior and leader. And I guess saying that she's Reyna, because physically, Alexandra Daddario looks like Reyna, but in reality, I guess movie Annabeth has more in common with Clarice. Which is a bad thing. That That's a very, very bad thing. Uh, we mentioned in episode two... That Clarice was kind of also completely wrong, so maybe yes. they're going to have an opposing dynamic? I don't know. I'm just not very comfortable with the direction that the movie universe has taken these two characters. Yes. Why, Chris Columbus? Why? Because Chris Columbus isn't directing the second film. He's producing both of them, though. He Instead, it's Thor... But yeah, he's produced guy. both of them. That's the point. True. He's the guy who, the guy who Chris directed Columbus Diary. is a cinematographer. He's in charge of both. Oh. Something. Something tells me that nobody's read the books. They just, they've read something about the book. Well, like here's the thing too. Riordan has indicated that he basically doesn't care about. Them about the movie series, because he's licensed it off, and once Disney, and like, yes, it's already Disney, but once it's in Disney Films' hands, well, I suppose as the case may be Touchstone picture, whatever. I, th uh, I actually think the second film isn't even, isn't even a Disney... They're both Fox films. They've both been distributed by Fox, but yeah. I think they're both produced by Disney imprints, Mm -hmm. 
because there's a lot of Percy Jackson advertising going on at Disney Channel and such, sometimes. Uh, anyway, what, Riordan has indicated that since he licensed it off to Disney's film companies, he realizes he lacks creative control anymore. And I, that's... I hate to draw a Harry Potter comparison, but I'm going to anyway, because Chris Columbus is involved in both of these novelization adaptation things. Yeah. J.K. Rowling, Joe, can we call her Joe? We're going to call her Joe. Joe was very intimately involved with the production of her films, of the, of the films that paralleled her novelization series. That's why... Part of the reason why it parallels so closely and lines up so cleanly. There are some differences, like some characters completely changing race between films due to or, recasting. Or, you know, Peeves not even existing. But ultimately those are inconsequential because the main story is still linearized identically to the way it's on to the way it is on the page. Rick Riordan just outright does not care about this film series. Hmm. And you can definitely feel that contrast. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, J.K. J.K. Rowling also is kind of better with dealing with the fans than, than Rick Riordan is, because Rick Riordan, like, Rick Riordan just doesn't doesn't really care about fans that are outside of his target demo. He welcomes them, but the fact is is that his primary focus are the fans of the target demo. J.K. Rowling was with all all of her fans. Also, J.K. Rowling's events are completely fictionalized, while Rick Riordan draws from real people to put in the fictional fictional events like. The fact that demigods have ADHD and dyslexia is because Rick's own son has both of those things, and Rick wanted there to be a hero that his son could associate with. Well, I feel like there's this detail, too. The Harry Potter saga, Jay's, Joe's fans really grew up with the series. I remember um, as each novel was released, it was essentially in my reading level, and it drew from slightly more realistic uh, morals and concepts. Whereas the Percy Jackson series is at, written at basically the same reading level and basically the same uh, conceptual background. It has a higher starting point than the Harry Potter series, I think, but it's also basically a plateau from start to finish. Even going into Heroes of the even going into the Heroes of Olympus saga. Yeah. It's basically a plateau. There's some development, because the characters are not static. They develop between novels, but at the same time, conceptually, it's basically a plateau. Yes. The, the writing does get smarter. It doesn't get, um... It doesn't get more adult but it does get smarter. Yeah, the writing gets smarter, the writing gets better, and that's really just Rick growing as a writer. That, yeah. But it's not like... it's He's targeting the same people, and I feel like that's an issue, especially because his original target demo might still be with the books, Yeah. but it's not 
intellect as intellectually stimulating as it um, as it once was. Like with Harry Potter, you introduce an eight-year-old child to the Harry Potter series. He's going to read it maybe one book a year, and then by the time he's finished it, he's at an emotional age, and he's mature enough where he understands the sacrifices that had to be made during the series, and he's really grown with it. With Heroes of Olympus, you lose Pete. With Heroes of Olympus and Percy Jackson, you lose characters, and it has a profound impact on you. But there's the thing that none of it really seems final, and it doesn't really seem to have a lasting impact. Like Beckendorf's death, that was significant at the time. Yes. And you can, but in the Heroes of Olympus saga, you only really feel the effects of Beckendorf's death on one group of people, and that's the Hephaestus cabin. Yeah. Who and are who are now essentially lost without Beckendorf, and the whole Beckendorf's curse thing they feel is going on. But like, It's not he, really an emotional loss, though. It's more of a loss of direction, rather or, than, oh my gosh, we lost a brother. It feels more like, oh my gosh, we lost a boss, and now we have no idea what to do. Until they get a new boss. Until they get a new boss. Who doesn't even know who Beckendorf is. Yeah, and that's what I take issue with. Like, Rick's kind of divorced himself from the series. Like, he's focused on telling the story, and I appreciate that. I And I love the story that he's telling. It's just that it seems a bit foreign, kind of like a rejected organ. Yeah. I also... One of the, of course, one thing I will will say is that is that I feel Rick's universe that he's writing and it feels more complete. Like the this is a problem I took issue with with the Harry Potter series. At the time, the universe seemed very you know complete and and things. But if you when you look back, you'll realize it's we're. We basically have the first buildings of a universe, but we never actually found out anything about this universe that J.K. Rowling built. Rick Riordan takes way more time explaining the universe. Well, he does show us the universe, to be fair. Yes. He, he's a brilliant writer, and he's doing a really good job at telling the story. It's just very locked in and very sterile at the same time. What does any of this have to do with Annabeth? What it has to do with Annabeth is that the author having divorced himself from the series after the story has been told, I mean, it's... Myth was originally oral tradition. Yeah. It, it was mutable. It could change. But at the same time, the same essence was felt as the story was passed on. And I feel like that's sort of an interesting contrast, where... When you're telling a story, it is mutable. It, mutable as in changeable, not mutable as in you can turn it off and la 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 la. Um, it's mutable as in it's changeable, it's mutatable. Yes. Alec- Annabeth Chase, I felt, was one of the pieces that was immutable, and her change from the page onto the screen was so drastic that it's essentially affected the entire universe. I think what the movies were going, 
going for because the movie it follows a very different the movie we we can draw more comparisons to the move from the movie to the Harry Potter franchise because it's very obvious that the movie was trying to coattail onto that. Um, the movie was very much oh the Harry Potter franchise is is finishing. I'm going to try and come in and replace it. And I think what they were trying to go for was that they wanted Aunt Annabeth to be more of a dynamic female character to compete with Harry Potter. But the problem was, was that the character Annabeth's equivalent in the Harry Potter series is Hermione, who is almost exactly like Annabeth. Hermione plays a very passive role, as does Annabeth. I, I'm really not tactical and brainy, but I don't really see an issue with having similar characters because they're explored in very different ways. Yeah, Hermione is definitely a for Hermione is defined as a foreigner in her world, whereas Annabeth is completely familiar with her world, um, completely comfortable with her world, and really foreign with the mortal world. In contrast, with Percy, who has a completely opposite perspective. In Harry Potter, Harry and Hermione are both foreigners to the world of magic. Which is why they have Ron. Which is why they have Ron. Which Ron's equivalent would be Grover? But Grover is... Like, the thing is, here we have one foreigner and two people who are fairly comfortable in their own world. But the thing is, Annabeth's completely unfamiliar and completely uncomfortable with more of the world. Whereas Grover has... Relative ease switching between the two. Yeah. Like, the character dynamics are different, and I feel that the producers just didn't really get that and were afraid of drawing comparisons to Harry Potter. Yeah. Another thing that I uh, take issue with now, but I feel okay with from a writer's perspective, is that the Lightning Thief also feels very, very self-contained. Yeah. It's very clear they were trying to start a franchise. So why self-contain your first installments? At the very end, Annabeth and Percy both get together, which is all good and fine, except for the fact that it upsets the dynamic that is supposed to occur in Percy Jackson 2 Sea of Monsters, where neither is really sure of their feelings for the other. Now you do have the, oh, maybe I like her, maybe I don't, maybe let's break up, maybe we won't dynamic. But that's very different from, hey, this girl's kind of cute, or, hey, maybe he's not an idiot after all. Maybe he could be my best friend. Which which is why I think they're using Clarice in the way they appear to be using her. Because they blew the card of, oh, Percy and Annabeth are, are together, which... One could argue that the reason why they used that car is because they didn't think they were going to get more movies, but they actually were contracted to do the entire Percy Jackson series, even at that point. And that's what I'm stating. It's very clear they were intending to establish a franchise from the very beginning, and yet they self-contained a lot of the Percy Jackson franchise into that one movie. Yeah, which is problem, which is why they're using Clarice in the way way they are, which is is very off-putting. Yes. It's now instead of Clarice basically hating 
Percy and everything he stands for because she's an she's a hot-headed Ares cabiner who got beaten up up by Percy on his first day at camp. She is more sympathetic and seems to be more of a friendly rival. Which, again, I'm okay with this. It's just really, really jarring, especially if you do know the source material yes. and you can reference it. It it feels like they're make like they could be doing it to make her make her a more likable character, but to me, it just feels like they're doing it to introduce a love triangle because they blew the card of oh, Percy and Annabeth are together now and they're dating and they have a good relationship and everything at the end of the first movie, but now they need that drama which shows up in late later books, which even in later books, Rick still put that drama in there, but it made sense because it, The characters were developing and aging as it went on. With the Percy Jackson movie series, you have 17-year-old protagonists ish around that age, right? Um, they were I think Annabeth and Percy were 15 in the first movie. They were 14 or 15, and then Grover was 16. Because Grover did all the driving. You mean Grover was 32? Yeah. Oh, right. That that thing about them growing twice as old. It's not... Like, I feel that at this point, it's really two separate stories. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like having conflicted... It's really interesting, because it's kind of like how the gods have a Roman and a Greek identity. We have the movie Annabeth, Rainabeth, and we have Annabeth Chase from the novels. Yeah. It's... Definitely, it definitely goes back to the mutability of story, I think, and I think that's compelling. At the same time, I'm completely upset by it. Yes. It's pretty bad. So with that, let's move on to the... The Annabeth we like. The Annabeth we like from the novels. So we're first introduced to Annabeth in Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief, just like we are in the films, except this Annabeth is a medic, apparently. And 12. And 12. So Percy wakes... Percy comes to from getting mauled by a bull man wearing tidy whities very important. Very, very important. Note. Percy wakes up from getting mauled by a bull man, and he meets Annabeth, who mentions that he drools in his sleep, and basically... Percy, des Percy describes her to have curly blonde hair like a princess with a tan and athletic build. He says that she would look like a California girl, except her stormy gray eyes take away from the rest. Which is this, is this is actually a very important thing, because later on in the series... Annabeth has to use her, oh, I look at, like, a California... She has to use the way she looks to her, adva her advantage to try and evade the forces of the Roman army and the idiot known as Octavian. So, yeah, I find that really interesting how it mentions she's a California girl and then later California ties very important into her backstory, especially in Titan's Curse, which is basically the plot of the wizard. Um, anyway, so, she's chosen to accompany Percy on his quest because 
he kind of needs someone who isn't completely unfamiliar with this universe to make sure he doesn't die. And Grover is incompetent. So they journey, they retrieve the Master Bolt. Percy duels a god wins, and then we move on to the Sea of Monsters. Annabeth, interestingly, Annabeth doesn't ask. Percy doesn't ask her to come along. Annabeth tells him that she needs to do this. That there's a quest, that when a quest happens, she has to go on it. It was prophesized or something. And it I forget exactly what happened, but that turned it turned out that yeah, she she needed to come along. I haven't read these books in a while, people. Sea of Monsters. Sea of Monsters is Sea of Monsters. It's the Odyssey. It it it's the Odyssey with teenagers. It's the Odyssey with teenagers, and the one, main and your first mate's a chick who may or may not like you. The um the main character development in Sea of Monsters comes when they're at Cersei's Island for Annabeth. Because Annabeth is given the option of phenomenal cosmic power without the itty-bitty itty living space, but she chooses Percy over it. So, Rain is here too, by the way. Raina is, is here. Named. <laughs> she is here. She isn't named, but thankfully it's a retcon that makes sense in the continuity because she was retconned as such a minor character. How she, I don't really get how she got out of the Sea of Monsters. She explained it and it didn't make sense, but whatever. Um, Annabeth also shows her hubris by insisting that she take the role of Odysseus when they pass the sirens. Yeah. All and... to find out that she that her fatal flaw is hubris, which is very ironic and very wonderful. Isn't it chironic? You know what? Screw it. Chironic is now a thing. <laughs> so yeah, not much, not an exceptional amount of character development for Grover. But it We're definitely reveals a lot about Annabeth. Yeah. So, here's hoping that the movie doesn't mess it up completely. They already have. Shut up. <laughs> Cersei Land. Really? Really? Cersei Land. Really? Anyways, on to Titan's Curse, where Annabeth spends most of the book underneath the sky and bound and gagged because Luke is apparently into that sort of thing that it's it's kind of interesting because of the fact that it, Titan's Curse really is Percy's story and Zoe Nightshade's story but she's not important Percy like we said in our Percy topic, the point of Titan's Curse was, I'm not going to let you save my my kind of, sort of, girlfriend without me. And then he meets conflict to his relationship at some point, and as we find out in Battle of the Labyrinth, Annabeth instantly takes a dislike, a 
dislike to Rachel Elizabeth Dare. <laughs> Not so, because... yeah, we have a lot of romantic conflict here, and it's wonderful. And Battle of the Labyrinth, finally we have one about Annabeth. The keg drops and the keg explodes. We have, yeah, it centers around Annabeth because they're looking for Daedalus, another son of Athena, which is fun. It's really, and really fun. It's also Annabeth's, pro- Annabeth's prophesized quest that the Oracle gives. Because she gives the first one to Percy, second one to Clarice, third to Zoe. This one was directly given to Annabeth. Meanwhile, Annabeth is having a lot... Annabeth's basically being a teenage girl who isn't sure if she likes her best friend. Yes, which... Yeah. (laughs) Meanwhile, we have Red. We have Red. Red is... Red is very sure she likes her best friend. It's like I said in the it's like I said in the last topic. Rachel is Percy's girlfriend. Percy is in love with Annabeth, and the two of them should be together, but Rachel is Percy's girlfriend. Yeah. Officially. Like no, they go no. out on dates and things, this is a thing they do. Yes, that, I think that I think that was a direct quote, wasn't it? <laughs> no, it wasn't. Yes, it was. Yeah. How would you know? Because I listened to the last episode like yesterday. So that's where our twelve downloads came from. <laughs> Anyways, is Annabeth? Annabeth has a lot of character development in this journey. She finally starts. Revealing her feelings to Percy to him. There's that time she meets the um she meets the Sphinx and it's a big underwhelming thing. Find Daedalus. And you get to see Annabeth um really start to realize her own personal priorities and what she really wants. She realizes that she doesn't really want this life of adventure that she's been living up until now, and I feel that's a really significant moment in her character in which she realizes up until now she's been doing an interesting fusion flavor of war and wisdom, but maybe she just really wants a chance to exhibit that engineering wisdom that's inherently within her. And Daedalus encourages this and gives her his special laptop. And that's why I love the Athena cabins so much in this series, because they're, they're one of the few cabins where I think that the characters really do have fraternal thoughts for one another. Hmm. Like, yes, they're basically a team of civil engineers, but first and foremost, they're brothers and sisters. And as with Annabeth as head counselor, I definitely feel she's actively trying to encourage that. And Daedalus sees this he recognizes it, and he encourages his centuries younger sister to pursue that. Yeah. And gives her her boyfriend his pet puppy. Look at your puppy. She's a very good puppy. She's a puppy the size of an elephant. Who becomes very useful in the final battle in the next book, The Last Olympian. I, I just... I'm sorry, I just love that about Mrs... O'Leary, she's an, she's a giant evil Doberman the size of an elephant 
that has the personality and demeanor of a Bichon Frise. No. No, we, I explained this to you, dang it. <laughs> Bichon Frises don't do anything except for ten minutes of every day. So she's this a Bichon Frise for that ten minutes the entire time. Yes. She's a boxer puppy. Oh boy. And she's adorable. Presumably. We haven't actually seen her. We just have mental images. I think it's re- and I think it's really cool how Daedalus recognized these two upstanding demigods and gave them both gifts. Maybe he shipped them both together. He totally would do that too. He's like, no, because he's a teacher, and I, I've been told that teachers like guessing who's dating who. So maybe that's what he was doing. Yeah. At the same time, it could have just been, you deserve a puppy, and you get my cool stuff. <laughs> I, I'm going to die now. I, I must die know, my last life. You know, this is actually um, this actually produces a pretty cool in- mental image because um, have you ever seen Billy and Mandy Big Boogie Adventure? No, the movie. I have huh. actually. You have not? No. Well, in the movie, there's this giant gladiator made of gold called Horror. Which is sort of that thing where, or abstract concepts they couldn't associate with a god, they'd associate with a demigod of so- or something, you know? And what was Daedalus? Daedalus wasn't in Big Boogie Adventure. Aww. I'm just, th- I'm just saying, I imagine him to look like horror. So yeah, he goes off to die, and he's like, I am the fifth Daedalus. Except I'm not a Time Lord, so I can't regenerate again. And then he dies. No. Permanently. Well, to be fair, what actually happened was he was he was discovered, and he decided to actually be a hero for once, because Daedalus, Daedalus has been spending centuries and centuries and Building automatons that, to serve as soul jars, and possessing them, and just running around being hit. But he's spent it as a bitter old man who doesn't serve the gods, doesn't really serve anyone but himself because everybody in his life has eventually screwed him over at some point. And it doesn't help that his arch nemesis is now out running free again. Thanks a lot, Nico. (laughs) The best part about it the best part about it is that one's actually Nico's fault. Nico's Nico was in a dark place, and he's like, "Oh, I really wish I had someone to talk to to get to help me through this." So who? So who comes to his aid? King Minos, Daedalus's arch nemesis. I'll give you Daedalus's soul and some McDonald's for my sister. I'm not making this up, people. This was the deal. Yes. He, he wanted chicken McNuggets. Yeah, he gave three Happy Meals and the soul that wasn't his to exchange for the soul of his sister, who chose to be reborn, by the way. But not at this point. Not at this point. At this point, she was still in... Is it 
is Elysium the highest level, or whatever, is the, whatever the highest one was? Yeah. No, no, because you remember there's a high, there's four levels. There's Tartarus, there's the fields of Asphodel, then I think it's Elysium because Elysium is where yeah, it's Elysium. But then there's the higher level where people who choose to be three reincarnated and get to Elysium three times. The Isles they get, of the Blessed. Yeah. So it's a but yeah. So, she was on the highest one you could do with one life. So. Yeah, so she was in Elysium. But it's like, okay, this chick clearly is going to try to get... She was good in this life. She's clearly going to try to do good again. So, Nico is exchanging three bags of highly processed food, a soul that wasn't his to exchange, for somebody who doesn't want to be reborn into this life again. To a guy who nobody likes. And doesn't exactly have the power to do this anyway. Yeah, he's he's just like, yeah, that was never going to happen. So that turns out exceptionally well for Nico, and yeah. throws a wrench in our heroes. Yeah, because now, what wasn't isn't King Minos one of the judges of the underworld? Yes. How power to he's how he's like one of the top thirty villains of Greek mythology. Hey, you need a good prosecuting attorney. It was his bright idea to make a deal with Poseidon, and then once he found a bull he actually liked, he said, "Screw that deal." King Minos is evil. What does any of this have to do with Annabeth Chase? Well, since this is clearly going to devolve into an eco topic, if we spend any more time on this, the, let's move on to the last Olympian. Yeah, yeah, we probably should. The Nico topic is three or four shows from now. Okay, so... Beckendorf dies! <laughs> Every time we start off with the last Olympian, we have to mention that. We're under contract. The boss is making us. The, bo- the boss is... Yeah, the... He's not a good boss, people. Good thing he doesn't actually listen to our show. <sighs> so, Beckendorf dies. Uh, Percy leaves a very... Sorry, normal Nico behind. <laughs> and he Wait. calls Annabeth. Because Annabeth is a rebel and breaks the rules and has her own cell phone. <laughs> Annabeth... Annabeth has main character powers. I, I really... No, no. She just specifically says, yes, I'm breaking the rules, when he calls her. Yes. And I think that goes back to her hubris, because she's like, I need this to keep in touch with my family in California. Don't you think the other demigods want to keep in touch with their families in the middle of Kentucky? Well, to, to be fair, I mean, Dr. Chase... He has a biplane that he rigged to shoot celestial bronze bullets. I, I think it's it's honestly it doesn't matter how good that whether she likes him or not. It's a good idea to keep in touch as a war strategy. 
He's the first person in the history of the world to be like, hey, you know what? I can make bullets out of this. So, well, to be fair, one of the weapons in the Camp Half-Blood Armory is an AK-47 that shoots Celestial Bronze rounds. So He may be I, the I, first I, person, but Camp Half-Blood adapted. Yeah. Anyway, I don't see how sending up a signal flare that says, yes, Annabeth Chase here, most powerful demigod of Athena. I don't see how sending up a signal flare that says that outweighs the tactical advantage of getting it by plane and some air support in there. Do they have air support otherwise? But he ran out of Celestial Bronze bullets. It's inconsequential air support. At best, it's aerial reconnaissance. From the other coast. Hey. Things... Things went down at the other coast. Yeah, but gold was involved there. Reyna was involved there. Gosh dang it, Jason was involved there. So this is really, really... This is a really fun novel, as far as the Annabeth dynamic goes, because as we said last episode, it's where Percy and Annabeth really finally connect emotionally. And, and Percy breaks up with Red. And Percy breaks up with Red. Screw Red. She doesn't mind. She she gets the ability to see the future. As long as she keeps her virginity. I think that's actually in the rules. I... No, it, it can't be because... It can't... I don't think it's in the rules because, um... Virginity is Hunters of Artemis. Oh. The rules... Because you'll remember, um... Luke's mom tried to become the Oracle of Delphi, and that only failed because of the curse Hades put on the previous Oracle. She went crazy because of the fact that Hades doesn't communicate to his brothers. I thought it was something else. I thought it failed because of something else, but now that I think about it, you're right, yeah. Yeah, because okay. Hades, Hades was what? Hades punished the Oracle of Delphi because... You will Hades. never have a mortal form. Again. Chuck or, Testa. I think the... <laughs> I think the... The point was, was that Hades blamed her. Not her power. Not the spirit that have Blamed her for the fact that, um, you know... Now he has to go hide Nico and Bianca because... Believe it or not... Hades actually likes his children. As annoying to... as Nico is, it's sort of like that annoying... Th okay, if any parents are listening to this, Nico is basically your energetic three-year-old. From Hades' perspective. Yeah. Hades... He's like, oh my god, won't you shut up? Oh, come here, son. You're so adorable. You want me to buy you another Mytho Magic Booster Pack? Here, I'll buy you another Mytho Magic Booster Pack. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> oh, that is so true. It's 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 funny. Hades doesn't like anyone. He doesn't even like his wife. The only person he seems to like are his kids. And that's because they're honestly good children. They're annoying, yes, but they're good children. Um, well, Bianca isn't annoying. Yeah, but she died, which 
Hazel's not annoying. I, I thought Hazel was annoying. Of course you would. So, I really like Annabeth's dynamic in this novel. Yeah. Because it really shows her evolving and, impo- most importantly, I think, growing up. Because she realizes that it's possible that fratern- she realizes that fraternal love and romantic love are completely different things. Yes, very very important thing to note because yeah, and I feel like that's one of the biggest things in her growing up, and she also finally connects with the person that she's been spending the last. Four years fighting alongside... Three. Three and a half. Whatever. <laughs> it's almost... It's four at precisely the end of the book. Like, she finally connects with him, yeah. and then they become codependent. Terribly so. I mean, it's adorable. It's adorably codependent. But it's terribly codependent. Yes, it's... It actually, I mean, I hate to, I hate to say anything bad against these books I love so much, but I thought Mark of Athena got really annoying after a while. Because Annabeth chapters and Percy chapters were basically the same thing from two perspectives. Yes. It's like, and when Annabeth and Percy weren't together... They were talking about how much they'd rather be together than where they are right now. And with that, let's move on to Percy Jackson and the Olympians 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, which is actually a completely different series, The Lost Hero. The Lost Hero, which, unlike... In which Percy does not make an appearance. But he's mentioned several million times. Because we have the wonderful, wonderful blonde Annabeth Chase. Who has decided that that Jason Grace is her arch enemy because LOL cocktees. So here's what happens in The Lost Hero. To listen to us talk about The Lost Hero, listen to episode two of Festus Radio. We, if you we, can't do followed why do you keep plugging why do you keep plugging our previous episodes? At the worst time. If you can't be bothered to listen to episode two of Hephaestus Radio, here's us talking about the lost hero. So, basically, Annabeth shows up and tries to kill Jason, Piper, and Leo for stealing her boyfriend who is nowhere in sight. That's and it. Then she she makes various different appearances. She um she doesn't trust Jason. At because all. she thinks Jason's behind it. And to be fair, he kind of is. He he also also he doesn't she doesn't trust Jason because in her own words, people, he's too perfect. That's right. Somebody within the universe recognized the Gary Stew. <laughs> yes. Of course, Annabeth is just Annabeth, of like, all people, perfectly recognizes the Gary Stew, and it's to, wonderful. To be fair, Annabeth is two IQ points away from being self-aware. <laughs> she's almost smart enough to realize she's a fictional character. 
And then she shows up various times at the book through the rest of the book. I think they basically call her when they have no idea what to do. And basically, she's on her own self-imposed quest to find her boyfriend. Which, Which given leads... the plots of the last few books, is pretty funny. Because it's always been caused by some prophecy. No, she's off on her own. Uh, this is this is my quest. This is my quest this season. Uh, I'm trying to find my boyfriend. I'd love to just see an entire book from Annabeth's perspective, paralleling the lost hero. She, she didn't even bring her muscle-bound, tattooed sidekick with her. She's just off on her own trying to find her boyfriend. I really want to see this book now. And they and they. And then the, it leads them to the same place, the Wolf House, which is in California, California Napa Valley. Napa Valley, yeah. It leads them to the Wolf House, where they have a battle with the King of the Giants, who I think they defeat? Yeah. It, it was pretty finalized. And then she's like, wait, I know your sister. <laughs> and then, and then, she and actually Mary goes, like, no, I'm pretty sure Mary Sue is a fictional character. <laughs> no, I definitely know No, she's know like, sister. Jason, no, that happens at camp. Jason's like, Annabeth goes into the cabin and Jason starts remembering things, and he's, and he's like, I need to find Tal- Talia because my name's Jason Grace. And Annabeth's like, Hey, I know Talia. I could, I could just call we're her. Like, we're like, we're like bros. We're like this, yo. Yeah, we, we're, we're like this. Although, I was probably jealous of her at some point because I'm jealous of any girl who spends time with Percy that isn't me. But yeah, despite the fact that they were cousins and treat each other like that. Because when you think, because when you think about it, with how little the big three have children, those children treat each other like cousins to the point that unlike other godly children who will date each other just as long as they're not in the same cabin, the big three's children consider each other off limits. They really do. You actually kind of see that in. Um Son in Mark of Athena, where Jason and Percy are really just kind of, really just treat each other just like cousins of the same age would. Yeah. They're like, yo, you need help with this? No, I'm good, bro. Okay, cool. I'm going to be over here with my girlfriend. Well, yeah, well, you know what? I'm going to be over here with my girlfriend. Who do you think's, who do you think's hotter? Piper or Annabeth? Annabeth. But Piper... I think Piper would have a prettier face. Not because she's an Aphrodite kid, um, Native American bone structure. You'd be surprised. It, it does. It does wonders. Are you even listening to me? Sorry, I'm looking at pictures of Alexander the Daria. Seriously though, that Native American bone structure it it makes women surprisingly beautiful. Can you paint with all the colors of the wind? Nope, Cindy Crawford. 
that's that's the best part. It, it was just Cindy Crawford. There, it wasn't even really Native American. Pocahontas was just Cindy Crawford. Can we get? Can can we? Was Annabeth even in Son of Neptune? Here we have. Welcome to Son of Neptune. In contrast to every other time somebody doesn't appear, we're going to do it a little differently. Welcome to Son of Neptune. Annabeth Chase isn't actually in this novel, but she's talked about all the time by Percy Jackson, so let's talk about it anyway. Isn't that basically what we did last topic anyways? Yes. Shut up, Ethan. (laughs) Anyways. So, Son of Neptune, we have the prophecy, the brilliant, brilliant prophecy written by someone who can't read. Go to Alaska, find Thanatos, and free him. Come back by sundown on June 24th, or die. (laughs) The best part about it is that despite the fact that he can't read, he didn't need to because he got that prophecy directly from Apollo, which instantly makes Octavian jealous because Octavian has to go through the entire customer service line. Yeah, he has to go through the stuffed animal, cutting it up. Uh, sorry, we're going to have to put you on hold. Uh, uh. What? <laughs> I, I'm Octavian. <laughs> Don't you know who I am? Y- yeah, you, call, you called us last week. We're going to have to put you on hold, sir. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, Apollo doesn't appear to me in the office. Could you please massacre another stuffed animal later? <laughs> I want this to be in the movies if they get the Son of Neptune now. I want his voice to be like this. <laughs> no, I I imagine Octavian having a sort of California surfer dude vo- voice, and then that's the voice. I imagine most of the time he has just this California surfer dude voice. He's He's sort of making himself out to be better than he is. And then whenever somebody's like, well, oh, your plans are stupid. He switches into the high-pitched voice, which is his real voice. He puts on a show. So, we have Percy Jackson. Throughout the entire book, he has one thought. And that's Chase. Let's move on. It, it's kind of interesting, because Jason Grace, because he's so Jason... That that's really the best way I can put it because he's so much him, and Jason Grace Grace is oblivious to everything. Hey, it's the a- girl likes you, really? Yeah, she thought she was your girlfriend. Now she actually wants to be your girlfriend, really? Huh. I wonder what that hot blonde is doing. She's taken. Oh. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll settle for the Native American. <laughs> Jason. But Jason is oblivious to everything. So Hera had to plant memories that weren't there to send him to have something that he's fighting towards. Let's put it it into perspective. One of his best memories of Camp Jupiter was Dakota. (laughs) Yes. Actually, to be fair, one of my best memories of Son of Neptune was Dakota, because Dakota is amazing. I feel like I'd be a great actor for Dakota. <laughs> but but huh? here's, the, here's the best part about it. One of his best memories of Camp Jupiter was Dakota, despite the fact 
that the that his coworker and his fellow leader had a huge crush on him, and she's in and she's described as being insanely attractive. I'm pretty sure Dakota's mentioned before right in the tale. But, yeah, Raina's in there. She's incredibly attractive. She's ready for Jason to just sweep her her up into his arms. And no. Dakota's more memorable. (laughs) And, not only that, Jason shows up to camp. He remembers everything now. And who's the first person that he introduces Raina to? Piper. Jason is an idiot. Oh, There's a reason why I don't like Jason, people. And so, Mark of Athena, we have everyone interacting together. Which I'm, and I'm really disappointed they didn't do a third novel. Like, we knew the third, the third novel was going to be an Annabeth focus for a long time. I'm yep. really disappointed that wasn't parallel to the loss here on The Son of Neptune. <laughs> I'm okay with that being a short story. I just want to see what Annabeth was doing that entire time. So... Here, we have the Annabeth Focus novel, which is really, really fun, because up until now, she hasn't had a perspective chapter, which she's really needed ever since the change to perspective chapters. Yes, which is actually not something that first happened in The Lost Hero. Perspective chapters was the Kane Chronicles thing, because you had two main characters who each who each are supposed to have a unique perspective on, on it, everything, but in reality, the unique perspectives are one of them's an American an American boy, the other is... A, one of them's an American teenage boy, the other is a British teenage girl. Other than that, they're the exact same. Unlike here, where you can tell different people are talking. Like, for instance, Leo gets distracted by machines. And you, I really like the way Annabeth's voice felt, because it was the most natural to me personally. So we finally, Annabeth finally gets her own prophecy, which is, Wisdom's daughter walks alone. Well, this is already depressing. The mark of Athena burns through Rome. Twins snuff out Angel's breath, who holds the key to endless death. Giant Spain stands golden pale, won through pain from a woven jail. I was impressed by this prophecy. Not because it was well written, but that Ella said it without, at the end of every sentence, going off into a tangent about what the word means and other uses of the word. Alone. Adjective. I love Ella. Why why isn't Annabeth jealous, jealous of Ella? Ella and Percy is my new OTP. So it's also her very own quest now, too. Yes to which Percy plays a backseat role, because LOL, gender swap. It's really fun to see what she does with her own quest, too. And you also get to see her dynamic with her mother, which was hinted at um, in Battle of the Labyrinth and The Last Olympian, and never else she interacted with Athena in the original series. But now you get to see how important that relationship is to her, uh, in The Last Olympian, you see Athena basically acknowledging her as her child and welcoming her in. And here you get to see the opposite end of the spectrum. She's completely rejected. 
but not by Athena. By Minerva. Because it's like a little virgin. She, um... It's not even that it's the lull virgin, virgin thing. Um, Minerva's crazy. Minerva is more bipolar than other. She, she's Romans. bitter by. She's bitter about the fact that she. That she, she feels like she lost something, but yes. she can't place her finger on what it is. Also, she appears as a hiker. Wasn't that the description? She had, like, a big backpack on, and she was wearing flannel. Yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, that's that's accurate. Which, which makes sense. She looks like a lost hiker. Yay, logic. So, Annabeth is sent to retrieve... Parthena Parthenos. Though she doesn't want to, and she's really... She really is rather... It it strikes her hard, because I don't think at this point she's aware of the fact... No, she's aware of the, the fact that the Greek and Roman sides are two different people. Like, Annabeth likes Juno a lot more than she likes Hera. She still hates Juno. But at the she's same like, time... You can see it. You can see the trickle over because Minerva's reje- rejection of a child of Athena actually affects the functionality of the powers of a child of Athena. Yeah, <laughs> which is amazing because it has very unfortunate implications. Yeah, Perfect. because Minerva stands for slightly different things than Athena does. Minerva's not a war goddess. Which, that would be... There's a hilarious idea. Mark of Athena happens in the film universe, and because as the pa- the powers... No, become... no, no. Mark of Athena can't happen in the film universe. They already went to the Parthenon. But they didn't go to the Parthenon. Yeah, but they went to the Parthenon. But that would actually be... <laughs> I think that would be hilarious in the film universe if they do get to Mark of Athena, that Annabeth gets rejected by Minerva, which is sort of getting rejected by Athena, and all of a sudden her her knowledge of battle strategy and everything is gone, so she has to rely on the intelligence that she's never tapped into ever. And we get to see a different Rainabeth. We actually get to see Annabeth for a whole movie. Seriously, people, the the um the Annabeth in the movies is stupid enough to get the bag of wins, and the first thing she tries to do is open it. No, don't open that. Nothing here to see. Anyways, Got so Captain a- Annabeth goes on her own quest, accompanied by Percy. And, and the seven. The, and and the five. Because the first seven. The seven. The seven. The seven, yes. And Cl- Coach Gleason Hedge, which is... Because this is a chaperone field trip. The chaperone field trip, <laughs> yes. Yes, a chaperone field trip by the worst chaperone ever. I miss a, the old Seder. There's, there's really a part in the book 
where it's said that once Leo got the cable working in in the ship, Coach Leeson Hedge never left his room, and that the only reason why Hedge found out about Annabeth and Percy's midnight rendezvous was because of Frank. Frank is still more god than human, by the way. It's a scary thought, people. (laughs) Although Frank arguably has the coolest special power. Because he's more abstract than the rest of them. The others are only half abstract. He's 53% abstract. (laughs) Actually, if we were to trace down the genealogy, he'd probably be less. He'd probably be like 50.003%. He's still more abstract than the rest of them and more divine than the rest of them. He's also the only Asian one. Yeah, that's a scary thought. It's the, it's the funnest. Thought. It's the funnest part because now we actually have a group group of gender diverse characters. When in the first when in the first series of books, it was basically all white guys. Like even movie Grover, the only reason even Grover, the only reason why movie Grover is different from book Grover is one, he doesn't have a slub subplot, and two, in the books, Grover was a white guy. He was a pimply white guy. So, in in Mark of Athena, you get to see Annabeth rely completely on her wits. Yeah. Which, while not unfamiliar, is actually challenging for her, because it reminds her of when she had to rely on her battle strategy to survive in her youth. You Except now the tables are turned and she can't rely on her battle strategy powers. She just has to rely on straight wisdom. And she also... Essentially what Annabeth's quest comes down to is a chess match against the only person who gave the goddess of wisdom a run for her money. So somehow she gets to Rome and finds the Parthenon. Not the Parthenon that Rainabeth went to, but the Parthenon Parthenon. Well, actually, no. She doesn't find the Parthenon Parthenon. She finds the Parthenos. She and she infiltrates the ruins. Um, and she finds a giant spider guarding Parth- Athena Parthenos. But this isn't any giant spider. No. It's Arachne. Who, in Greek mythology, was the only person who even came close to giving Athena a run for her money. And this is really fun because it's a final battle that's completely a battle of the minds, which is a complete contrast from every other final battle in the Percy Jackson series. Even even as this is happening, there's an action-packed final battle going on in the room next door. By which we mean the demigods are just standing there, and Bacchus is wiping the floor with two giants. Not, actually, the real the real story is the demigods right, wipe the floor with the giants, and then, while they're down, Bacchus comes and hits them with Tyson's stick, which now has a leaf on the end of it. <laughs> That's Lord Bacchus? Why haven't I turned you into a dolphin yet, Lord Bacchus? <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's really interesting to see this battle of the minds because it's a battle that's been many years in the making and it doesn't have to be a battle of the minds 
Arachne, a giant spider could easily just eat her. Arachne is physically powerful. I mean, spiders themselves are pretty strong, given what they are. Arachne's a spider about the size of a car. So, but then again, strength isn't the spiders. If Annabeth was fighting a giant ant, she'd be screwed. Spiders are clever. They set traps. All spiders set traps. There's various different kinds of traps, but in a sense, all spiders set traps. I really do think it's a fitting, a fitting final battle for her. It really shows where Annabeth's strengths lie, and it reconcile, and it shows the importance of the relationship between Annabeth and Athena to Annabeth intrinsically. And if you don't agree with us, just think about this: if this final battle actually happened in real life, then um then the plot to Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark would not exist. You probably don't get that joke, do you, Joe? I have not listened to the Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark soundtrack. It, it has nothing to do with the soundtrack. In, um, in Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, the spider that bites Spider-Man is Arachne. <laughs> That's great. So Annabeth's father is... Dr. Frederick Chase. He's a military oh, historian. actually, if you don't mind, it's just the doctor. Yes, He's I a military historian. <laughs> He's a military historian. What? No, I am afraid. Uh, th- this is Dr. Frederick Chase. He's a military historian, which makes him a perfect person to pair with Athena. Yes, and he never quite forgot her. Like, he has... He has not over it written all over his face. Which is kind of a contrast to a lot of the other main characters' parents. Like, take Sally Jackson, for example. Sally has... Sally Sally made her... her, Sally has her husband... Sally has her husband... And the guy she did to make Percy in the same house for Percy's for Percy's 15th birthday party. And the best part about it, Paul Everyone and Poseidon... Yes, Paul and Poseidon hit it off. He's like, blowfish? No, actually, it's blowfish. Oh, that's cool. I'm a fisherman. Oh, really? I'm an English teacher. Oh, that's cool. I like yeah. this guy. I like this guy. Sally, why didn't you introduce me to this person earlier? And Sally's just like, what is going on here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Percy's even like, what is going on here? My my dad and my stepdad, who, who, to be fair, I like both my dad and my stepdad. It's weird seeing them liking each other. Because my dad never got over Sally. Because I never got up Sally, but it, yeah, it's a nice contrast for Annabeth because her father is so much got, never gotten over it. When a lot of the other main characters, their parents have made their peace with the fact don't, that 
they'll probably never see the god again. It's really, and I think it draws from the background of Dr. Chase as well, because by trade he's a military historian. I feel like he chose that field of study because of his patron. Um, in his backstory, he wanted to go to college, but he couldn't afford it. But his brilliance attracted Athena to him, and they basically became military engineers together and designed something, and that something was apparently what led to Annabeth. But anyway. <laughs> kids of kids of Athena are weird. Like, for instance, Annabeth's mo- mom and dad never had sex. Annabeth has a belly button somehow. They, um... The thing about Athena kids is that they... Is that... When enough love has gathered between the parents, which... Intellectually, I should add. Intellectually. Once another intellectual love has gathered between the parents, the the child springs forward from Athena's mind and then somehow gets to the proper parents. I don't really know. It's delivered by... The child is delivered by Iris completely the crib. Ah. They explain this? Yes. Okay. It's so in, I, and it's in so the add that to... So that's Iris's lists of duties she does as the Messen- as messengers of the gods. Yeah, um, which is it's funny that she's the messenger, and that she really is the messenger of the gods. But Hermes is the messenger god. No, she's the goddess of rainbows. I should add that this is in the same short story where Annabeth is explaining that she has a belly button. She also explains she has a belly button in Mark of Athena. So. I'm sticking my tongue out at you. It's one of those. It's really funny. Uh, of course I have a belly button. Why wouldn't I? I, I, <laughs> I really need to read the short stories. Um, yeah, he's just really, really smart. And that really attracted Athena. Yeah. And, and it's a fairly straightforward story, but I think it draws a lot onto Annabeth. Yeah, I mean he's a military historian. He finished a PhD, and that is exactly what someone like Athena is looking for intellectually. Yeah, they have a lot of common ground, and they created this kid who's basically helped save the world and is in the process of saving the world from the underworld at this point. And oh. Gaia. And Gaia who is one of the big villains of Greek mythology. Just just, just to put that in perspective to all of you, in Greek mythology, the world wants to kill you. I have a feeling that Gaia is Australian. <laughs> so they're going to get Emily Duravin to play her? <laughs> I am okay with this. I could actually see that, to be perfectly honest. With her with her brown hair? Yeah. Because it's like... That's just the thing. It's like... Okay. Those of you who play God of War, War out there, because I assume since we have about 56 downloads on the first episode, one of you has had to have played God of War. Okay? That wasn't me. I know. One of you has to play God of War. So, you remember in God of War, 
Gaia appears as this really old hag, you know? Because she's the Earth and she's the oldest thing. Well, in the Percy Jackson series, she appears as a beautiful woman in her 30s who is asleep all the time and yet still talking to you. It's creepy. And I could see Emily DeRaven playing that. No, 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 Emily. You need to... Your your accent's fine, but we need it to be a little bit stronger. <laughs> As opposed to once. <laughs> your accent's Emily, fine, we just need it to be softer. Doc Chase, which I'm assuming his students call him, also has two young sons. Dr. Chase, what are you doing with all this bronze stuff we brought in? I need it for science. But you're, a you're, history not anthro- you're not in the anthropology department. You're not a his- you're a history professor. You're not a scientist. Science. It. Now, who wants to help me make bullets? Who me me? What does this have to do with military history? Uh, see, I am reforging these... Ar- it's called reconstructive archaeology. You're not an archaeologist. Shut up, you. It's called reconstructive archaeology. What I'm doing is I'm reconstructing weapons of old. You're having us forge bullets out of bronze. <laughs> I'm sure that if... I'm sure yes, that yes, yes, I'm reconstructing bullets from World War II to try, try to... Um, um, uh, science, I don't have to explain anything. Whoa. Wait, whoa, Believe whoa, whoa. in science, muggle. Why was there... Why are you making the bullets out of bronze, Dr. Chase? Because... You get an F. You're not getting credit for this research, research experience. <laughs> hey, Doc, does that mean you're not going to let me get the recommendation for an internship? Of course I'm going to rec- recommend you for an internship. That means you don't have to be here. <laughs> and, and so Dr. Chase gets rid of all of his college students while he goes to alter his gun. He's got to think, guns weren't meant to fire bronze. They were meant to fire lead or something. What are bullets made out of? You know what? Don't, don't answer in the comments, comments section. I don't actually care. He also has two young sons who are both half Asian, and they, and they bother Annabeth like little brothers do. But Annabeth, being an emotional wreck because autism, no, that that's that's actually pretty much the reason autism. Yeah, she um, she thinks they're more malicious than they actually are. They're trying to kill me. Your wife's trying to kill me. A- Annabeth, calm down. Your wife's trying to kill me, Daddy. <laughs> yeah, she also doesn't like your stepmom. Although that, she admits that later on that that's a completely selfish reason. Because I- she's like, when per- when Percy's finally like, when they have the talk in The Lightning Thief, in the in the zoo truck, which, by the way, we completely forgot to mention, when Percy and Annabeth have the talk in the in the zoo truck, Percy's like, you know what, you should really go home and try to work things out with your family. And Annabeth's like, okay. 
And then she tries to work things out, and then she's like, well, what do you know? I actually kind of like you. I hate the fact that I kind of like you. Daddy, they're still trying to kill me. <laughs> it's okay, honey. You have a dagger. It doesn't work. They're not important enough. <laughs> they they have side... They have dramatic tension character powers. I can't kill them. They're not important enough. <laughs> I only use this dagger on important things. Like that time I used it to cut kite string. No, really. Celestial bronze will just pass through whatever is unimportant to it. And yet, oddly, it works on kite string. Yep. Kite string okay. is more important than mortals. I think. Anyways. So, Annabeth has a good relationship with her father when she actually wants to see him because Annabeth kind of almost fell into that whole trap uh, that Luke fell into. That her parents don't care about her. Which is a lie. All in all, I think it's a realistic, believable um, dynamic between the entire Chase family. Also, her dad and and her like to do classic movie nights where they watch old movies and riff them. I imagine most of those are Civil War movies, too. Well, there was the one with Gregory Peck and... Is it Audrey Hepburn? Yes. Huh. Yeah, I remember that in um in the last topic, the reason why I didn't say Audrey Hepburn is because I'm like, oh, who... Who is that? Who is it? Um, I think it's Audrey Hepburn, but I don't want it to be someone like Marilyn Monroe, and then I look stupid. Also, for Marilyn not Monroe. Gregory Peck, yes. Yes, they like movies with Gregory Peck in it, which I like movies with Gregory Peck in it. I honestly imagine a lot of what he sees on his own time is Civil War movies. Yes. Or just war movies in general. He probably has watched... He probably really liked Pearl Harbor. Yes. I don't care if it's inaccurate. It's a good movie. Dad, Pearl Harbor sucked. It was Michael Bay for crying out loud. Annabeth, you need to look past the cinematography. It's a wonderful love story. It's a love triangle. Somebody involved in it dies. The other guy has to raise the other guy's kid. I feel like this conversation actually happened between them. And then, and then, and then Dr. Chase just sat Annabeth down and was like, yeah, well, guess what? You're also in a love triangle. What are you even talking about, Dad? Don't think I know what... I don't think I don't know what you do with Percy. I don't do anything with Percy. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Where's Percy right now? New York? Uh, and what's he doing? Uh, I don't know. I'll text him. He's on a date with that redhead. Wait. What do you mean? Because he spends every minute he's not on the date with that redhead calling you. Why do you have a cell phone? <laughs> 
She's not. That doesn't call me. Uh, hold on. Phone call. Hey, hey, Percy. Uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of busy right now. I'll call you back later, okay? <laughs> and then a minotaur just crashes through their wall. Like the Kool-Aid man. <laughs> Dang it, I had a bad... <laughs> and I... I don't have any more celestial bronze balls. Yes, you do, Dad. Don't think I don't know about the second cache. No one will ever know about that. <laughs> I, I could actually see this event having happened. And that's how per- Percy saves Dr. Jace from an angry minotaur. That minotaur really hates him. Especially when it comes back. <laughs> yeah. Well, wait, it's com- the same minotaur? Of course it's the same Minotaur. There's only one Minotaur. How is there only one Minotaur? What do you think this is, Narnia? And the reason he recognizes it is because of the tiny whiteies. Wasn't it wearing it over his armor? Yes. Because he was completely clad in armor. So he would be otherwise unrecognizable. Yes, if his tidy, if he had his tidy whities on the inside of his suit of armor, Percy would have thought it was a different Minotaur. But no, it's a plot point, people. I love you, Rick. Uh, good times, good times. Weird. Annabeth also hates Jason's guts. So let's yes. examine Annabeth's dynamic with the Grace family. Annabeth. Looks up to Talia like a little sister would to a big sister. But unlike the other side of that scenario where the big sister finds a little sister annoying, Talia gets along with Annabeth. Well. She finds Annabeth a little endearing. Yes. Talia, Talia likes, has a kinship with her fellow demigods, and she hates the gods very much. She especially hates the gods that try to hit on her. This despite happens appearing, more than you would think. Despite the fact that she appears, that the god appears, it doesn't even matter that the god is millennia old. The real reason is, is that he appears at the age where it would be illegal for him to date her. Because Apollo appears 19, constantly. Just two years younger and it would be completely legal. You had one job, Apollo. That's you had one job, man. One job. And that was to try and find Helios and get him out of retirement because you were a terrible sun god. A Helios disappeared. He doesn't exist anymore. What are you talking about? There was that crazy old homeless guy who had a train. That was me. Why were you posing as a crazy old homeless guy? The better question is, why wasn't Closing as a crazy old, old homeless guy. You were exactly. I was doing it for science. <laughs> and what did you find out? Wait, uh, I'm still I processing the results. <laughs> no, it's like I was doing it for science. Yeah, what did you find out? That I'm the god of music and I'm terrible at science. <laughs> Apollo should be played by Greg Sipes. So her and Talia get along. She doesn't like Jason. She she really doesn't. 
And the biggest she's, reason is because she is convinced that Jason kidnapped her boyfriend. Even when she finds out this isn't the case, she, she persists with the belief. Also, Jason is too perfect. The only Which, character able to recognize the Gary Stew. I, I'd like to point out that she kind of has a point, because Percy was able to take out, out the King of the Titans, but he was in mortal form and significantly weakened. Jason took out a Titan in full-on Titan form. Well, not full-on Titan form, but the point was, it was a Titan as a Titan. Yeah, Jason... I'm, I'm going to call Jason Gary from now on. Yeah. I have been calling Jason Gary from this point. Yes, there was a... There was actually a conversation in that happened where it's like, hey, do you think it would be worth it mentioning Jason in the Percy's topic? Who's Jason? You know, the blonde guy, son of Ju- son of Jupiter. I thought that guy's name was Gary. <laughs> it, and it really is. Uh, uh, you're not going to change my mind on this. Yeah, he, um... Honestly, I don't like Jason either. He's he's the Superman of the group. That is an accurate. That is an accurate. He is the Superman of the group, and they aren't the Justice League. <laughs> he is the Superman of the group, and they are the Avengers. You can see the problem here. It's an apt comparison. It really is. And now it's time for the feedback. So, Ethan, you asked a question on our Twitter page the other week. Yes. If you could read that aloud, please. I asked the good people on Twitter, of which there are six. Question to all the people out there, what would you like to see from this show in the future? Ooh, pick me. Pick me. More Um, Daryl. Uh, me, me, pick me. Dang it, Joe Cuevas. I want to see more me. You, you already run the show. It's my show, you just run it. We're the producers, we're the producers. So yeah, that question's going to be circulated every so often. Um, feel free to reply to it at any point, because um, that's what the feedback is. We, we want we to literal, know what you want. <laughs> we, don't, we don't discriminate... But please, if we recirculate the question, try to answer the most recent circulation. Because we, we probably don't... We, we just want to know what you want to see in the show. All two of you. Um, we do have an RSS feed now. So, expect things to come from that. And by things to come from that, I mean the show's going to be on iTunes. Which means good deal. And if you got this from iTunes, and you don't know what Twitter we're talking about, where can you find that, Ethan? That would be at Hephaestus Radio. That's at H-E-P-H-A-E-S-T-U-S-R-A-D-I-O. Despite the fact that that you can literally look over at your iTunes and see the name because you're listening to it on iTunes. Unless we spelt it wrong, in which case, that's Jose's fault. I spelt it like three times. Give me a break. Dang it, Joe. (laughs) 
You can also find us on WordPress at infestusradio.wordpress.com. I'm not going to say that again. You can nope. find Ethan on Twitter at... EdZoologist, E-D-Z-O-O-L-O-G-I-S-T. And you can find me on Twitter at, at Professor Ware. That's at P-R-O-F-E-S-S-O-R-W-H-E-R-E, because Professor What was taken. He has to mention that every time. I'm under contract. You know what else I have to say? Beckendorf died. And on that lovely note, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time on Festus Radio. Get it? Tuning! It's a radio. You know what really ticked me off? Go on. Um, that episode of Friendship is Magic, where Rarity gets the delicate wings, um, oh Sonic Rain Boom. That annoyed the heck out of me. You know what's the worst part about that? When that actually happens, when somebody makes a reference to Icarus now, people call it a reference to My Little Pony. It's like, My Little Pony was referencing Greek mythology, morons.